Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 118, and today we are going behind the story. I'm your co-host, Nigel. I am Tazzy, content creator and co-host. And for our behind the story episodes, we like to talk to creative professionals across industries to unpack their journey. And today we're going to hear the story behind comic artist and writer Kara Gaffney. Kara, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to uh, allow us to pick your brain and find out what's in there. That sounded weirdly medical, but um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, we appreciate it. So people listening, you can subscribe to Story X Story on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. As always, you can send us your feedback and questions to feedback at mymadup.com. Follow them at us on social media. We are at mymadup on Twitter at My Matter TV on Instagram and TikTok, or at Tazzy on all the above. You can also join the Studio 77 Discord to be part of the My Matter universe and meet others in the community. Uh, you can consider becoming a Studio 77 member to support the work that we do at My Matter and get exclusive access to events and artwork as well. And speaking of events and artwork, let's find out what's happening in the My Matter universe. <laughs> We have been working on some different manga projects in the background. Some will be seen soon, others later. In the near future, we have a manga for the Do I Look Like a Gamer campaign, uh, which has been mostly written. It will detail the journey of the campaign from the perspective of the My Matter universe and its characters. So that'll be a, a very meta uh, thing that we're doing on top of an already meta brand but it will also be a resource pack for young people parents and educators so as we've launched the campaign and been doing different activities and events uh, we're going to pull together some resources in between the comic pages so it'll be resource pack slash manga something a little different but hopefully uh, it will help as well as entertain Uh, don't forget we have another story uh, coming featuring Tazzy's character. So we've been speaking about that for a while. Our manga schedule has been uh, had to shift around a little bit because we've had a new project come in uh, that will also be seen before the end of this year. Um, So we've had to shift around timelines, but that is still in the works. In the meantime, you can also check out the latest Mayamada manga, Serious Through the Fog, which is out now. And it's a story about a pandemic that I wrote and made during the pandemic features Blake Sirius in what I would say is his toughest adventure yet until I can think about what the next adventure uh, is and make that a little bit more difficult. So check that out along with all the other manga from the My Matter universe. We have some activities coming or have come. I always forget how to do the, the time shift in this, but we have our casual conversations with comic creators. So this is our monthly chat with a different comic creator where we seek to uncover the human behind the art form. So in this month, we spoke to Chris Manson, who is a Scottish-based comic creator. Uh, I can't remember how much longer the VOD will be up, but we'll have highlights of the conversation on our YouTube channel. And next month, I'll be speaking with colorist and illustrator Erin Angiolini. That will be on Tuesday, the 4th of October from 7.30 p.m. BST. So we'll be having a chat about the craft of making comics, about some of her projects, uh, what she's got going on. So make sure you follow us in, on Twitch uh, for that. We also have our Minecraft Games Night, 
So we have a monthly games night where Tazzy and I play different games with Studio 77 members. If you're listening to this as it's released, uh, you probably just missed it, but uh, you'll definitely be able to catch it on Twitch VOD. Uh, so make sure you follow us there. Um, we have different live streams. We have highlights from past games nights that will go up on our YouTube page as well. And if you're a Studio 77 member, you can join us because next month we are playing Knockout City. So that would be uh, a fun one because we've done that before, so we know it for a fact. We also have events coming up. So this has been the first year, obviously, since the pandemic. We've been doing physical events. We've done a bunch of physical events over the year, and we've got a few more before the end of this year. So we have October 22nd, which is a Saturday, will be at the BFI once again, bringing spooky games to their Halloween season with consoles, VR, and tabletop games. I will also be taking over one of the screening rooms for some Phasmophobia. No, wait, is it Phasmophobia or The Quarry? I feel like uh, it's The Quarry. The Quarry, yeah. The Quarry, there we go. So we do all have Phasmophobia, VR game, Quarry, big screen. Just come down, we'll sort it out when we're there. Um, so that's going to be uh, the afternoon to the evening, October 22nd. You can get your tickets now. We'll put a link in the show notes. Join the party uh, for another gamepad event at the BFI. Fast forward to November 19th, we have Gamepad Online live from Samsung KX. So we're bringing back the online version of our Gamepad event, but with a difference because we're going to be producing the live stream in studio from Samsung KX. So this is a, I guess it's a technically a new type of event. It's Gamepad Online. So if you're watching it, it will... I'd say it's an evolved version. Oh, I like that. Gamepad Online. It's, it's the same event. It's just it's just in its next evolution. Is the Charizard to our <laughs> <laughs> Charmander uh, event? So yeah, we're evolving. So we're doing something different. Basically, producing a show. This is what uh, I've come to realize um, after our last meeting, where we were figuring out the tech stuff. So we're producing a show. Tazzy's going to be hosting it. We're going to be bringing our esports tournament. We're going to be bringing our interviews all in house. Um, and you can be part of the studio audience. So as well as having the option of watching on Twitch, you can also be in the room where it happens. So we'll be playing Overcooked, Mario Strikers, Knockout City. I will be interviewing different games professionals uh, about their journey and most likely hosting a panel uh, as well. And if you're there, or even if you're watching online, you'll be able to get the chance to put your questions to our guests. So tickets are available right now at gamepad.events. And if you are interested in coming and being in the studio, uh, definitely be quick. Seating will be limited. So there's only going to be a few seats uh, and everyone else can watch it uh, online. And last but not least, we have our Do I Look Like a Gamer campaign, which I've already mentioned. And this is a campaign, if you don't already know, that we launched this year to promote inclusion and diversity in video games. So check the website for the 40 players and makers that we launched the campaign with. You can see their photos online. And we have uh, another event as part of that campaign coming on Wednesday, the 26th of October. So we will be at Gravity in Wandsworth for a games careers event focused on parents and educators as well as young people. So if you are if you are a parent, uh, a relative, someone who works close with young people, 
who is interested in the games industry, this is the event for you. So the idea is we want you to gain a better understanding of how games are made and games as a career, as an industry, so you can better support the young people who show uh, an interest in that. So we're going to be doing different panels, talking to games professionals. Then once all the talking is done, we'll be playing some games. So we'll be moving to Gravity's eSports Arena and playing Knockout C. We're going to let people loose on Knockout C, uh, have a little tournament there. Uh, the event will start at 11 a.m. BST. We'll be streaming the panel segment of the event. So you can catch that on our Twitch if you're not able to join in person. Uh, so the full details are on Eventbrite right now, and we'll put the link to tickets there too. So do I look like a gamer? The campaign is proudly sponsored by Rocksteady Studios and Splash Damage, and that allows us to do these events that people can come to for free. So thank you for their support. Uh, you are now all caught up with what's happening in the Mayamada universe. Let's go behind the story with today's guest. And today we're talking with Kara, who is a comics artist and writer and has been on the convention circuit since 2016. She is currently working on an original comic, Well Heart, which has been which is being updated alongside a Steven Universe comic, Fault Lines. Kara is also a creator on the project Tilt Six Tales, which is a collection of black and white short stories from six different UK comic creators currently on Kickstarter. So we are going to talk about all of that with you, Kara. But what we'd like to start with is asking our guest a very simple ice-breaking question. What does creativity mean to you? I mean, you call it a simple question. <laughs> Do I say simple? I mean, deeply thought-provoking. Sorry, I, I get those mixed up. Yeah, so I, I'm not... Where to start? I guess when you really dial down to it, I feel like creativity means play, I suppose. I, I have a whole bunch of things that I do in terms of how I like to uh, flex my creative muscles, so to speak, and all of them. Uh, like, I, Obviously, comics is a big part of it, but also writing prose um, and just um, chatting with friends about stories and all that kind of stuff. And I guess whenever I come back to it, it's having fun digging my fingers into a project or, you know, playing around with ideas. Yeah, just it's always even even when I'm working on the long project for to be sold or like the tilt comic that I've been working on, it all boils down to doing creative stuff is always on some level an escape and a chance to just play around, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, no, I like that. I like, yeah, creativity. I was finding, yeah, creativity is usually associated with play. That makes sense to me. So I like that. Okay. And I guess looking at your journey uh, as well as like you made it into comics, I was always interested to know where people started. So like, where did you grow up and what was your relationship with comics and maybe even cartoons at an early age? Well, I grew up in Elgin, which is a town to the north of Scotland, um, not far from Inverness. And I was there until I was about 10. I, then I lived in Cheddar in England for a bit. And then I, my teenage years, I grew up in um, Dunblane in central Scotland and eventually made my way to Glasgow um, for university. I think it took me quite a while to get into comics, considering that um, even as a child, um, I was always encouraged to 
my creative my creative instincts are always encouraged. Uh, my granddad does caricatures, and my mum does a whole variety of different types of art. And they they really encouraged me to in my drawing and a couple of some teachers when I was younger who said wildly yeah what felt like looking back feels like wildly exuberant praise at a young age that made me feel like drawing was something that I could do and that writing was something that I was good at which just made me do it all the time constantly but for comic it took me a while to get there I didn't read that many comics when I was a kid apart from um, Asterix and then when I was a, when I was a teenager, I'd read. I think I'd read. Now I'm getting my timelines mixed up here. I did eventually gravitate towards X Men comics because I was a big fan of the TV shows. Oh yeah, the like the nineties TV show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, exactly. That's classic. Yeah, but, that was great show. <laughs> yeah, so good. But weirdly enough, that came after I'd gotten into the comics on the creating side because what really got me interested in making comics was I joined the art website DeviantArt uh, when I was, I think it must have been 16, and I discovered this sort of, I, I don't know if you can call it community, more like a, a group of different communities all doing the same thing of, uh, let's call it competitive comics drawing. Um, I didn't know that was such a thing. Yeah, yeah so right. it, it's referred to, it's the, the phrase for it is original character tournament or OCTs. And what you do is you draw a comic of your, there'd be a premise, say there's a big, let's say a fight tournament, because that's the easiest way to describe it. You draw a comic auditioning for it, which would be your character joining this fighting tournament. And if if you're selected as one of the entrants, there'd normally be, you know, 32, 64 different entrants in these competitions. You'd be paired up with another competitor and you had to draw your character defeating their character in this fighting tournament or maybe it's a, a superhero fight or... Um, the, an original one, character or any character? Original characters. I think some of, them, some of them did allow for fan characters and sometimes you have a, an original character tournament based in a certain IP like Pokemon OCTs were a big thing. But you draw your character defeating theirs in whatever way seemed fitting for you. And they draw their character defeating yours. Usually comics, sometimes you'd get even animations and stuff like that. And then the judges would look at both of them and whichever comic they liked better, they'd put onto the next round. And that would be what actually happened in that fight. Oh, so it becomes canon. Yeah, exactly. And then you go into another fight and you do the same thing until there's finally two competitors and then there's an overall winner. So I was involved in a lot of these. Um, There are some really big, um, really good artists involved in it, which was what got me into the scene. But there was also just a lot of people like like my age, 16 year olds to um, and people who are just starting out in comics and lots of us who we weren't very good at all, but none of us were very good sometimes you know we're all the same (laughs) level we're all kind of 
joining in together. So it didn't feel like the, there was particularly high stakes, despite it being a competition. And it was a great way to meet other creators. And half the time, when you're looking at your the the fight that you've just had and reading their comic that they've written of your character, you'd be like, ah, this is so good. I love this. This is obviously the better one because <laughs> I, I love what they've done with my character. And then you might win and go, oh, okay, I, I'm good at this, I suppose. but it was it was a a really cool introduction to the world of comics and a really good way to kind of you know practice when you're not when you're just getting used to it and not very good at it yet yeah i I feel like i've just stumbled upon a fight club (laughs) (laughs) this feels like i had no idea this this was a thing yeah, this is fascinating. <laughs> it's kind of the opposite of Fight Club, though, because as soon as you're in an OCT, all you want to do is talk about it to people, whether they're interested yeah. or not. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's where I got started. So it sounds like you had a very positive start. I mean, we, we've spoken to a number of creators, whether comic or in other industries. And, you know, sometimes you get those that were supported. Sometimes you get people who were told, like, you know, no, you can't do this. But it sounds like you had a lot of positive reinforcements from like both family and uh, and education. Yeah, yeah, and I, th- I think especially at, at that time in the in, in in the internet in general, it was a very, it felt like a, it was a very approachable thing to do. There's probably a better way of saying that. It was very the the amount comparing it to now, where you have web comics that have extremely beautiful art and a few very famous people who you know professional st- standard like super super well-produced web comics and stuff. Back when I started out, there was loads of people like that, sure, but you were also more aware of all of the people who were just dipping their toes in, who were not ready to launch their career, but were just taking their first steps in. So it just it, I feel like nowadays there's much more pressure to get it right or to, pro- or to be ready to produce something that is good from the very beginning, which I didn't have. So I was just allowed to play with it. I could just, you know, to do as much as I wanted in my own time. I had this community of people in the OCTs who are also doing the same thing and we're, you know, we're all enthusiastic about what one another are doing. So yeah, it was good. It, it was a really, it was a really nice time to be starting out. Do you think there's more like that pressure creates more of a barrier into people starting with comics? Yeah, I think, well, I think nowadays, so I, I, I still come from a very web comics focused background in that I do, uh, I've been doing Fault Lines, my Steven Universe fan comic for, uh, I want to say five years, but I think it's more like seven because uh, the pandemic has compressed all time oh, into yeah. no, you know, yeah. nothing. Probably 15. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but I and I think that it, it's it, the, the scene is changing a, quite a lot, and it's in a way that I'm kind of hope that people still have the opportunity as I did to just start out doing something, even when it's not maybe partic- you're not particularly good yet. But it feels like there's much more air quotes competition. Um, I don't I don't necessarily see it as competition. So we're all doing individual stories, and we're all do, you know. But there's obviously there's more more people than ever creating comics and. Mm with the algorithms on various websites and how easy it is to see how many people have eyes on a specific thing versus your thing. I think it's not quite as hospitable a situation to come in as a new creator. But then I'm not a new creator. So I so <laughs> maybe maybe the people who are joining aren't aren't finding the kind of barriers that I worry are kind of oh, popping up now. You yeah, know Yeah, because you've got the comparison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I th- I think 
another thing about webcomics nowadays is that when I was starting out, few people had been making webcomics for very long. So I think that a lot of people now have experience of having made webcomics. And I thumb, and that means you get a lot of good advice about how to go about the process that maybe wasn't there in my day. But I think also people kind of bring their bad, not their bad experiences. So so I, I did a tweet a little while ago on webcomic day, I think, which was basically joking about how loads of people I know have made a, started out making a webcomic and abandoned it. Mm. And it was something like... Um, it hits the roof of car this bad boy can hold so much uh, artistic and creative development referring to an, ab- the, ab- an long abandoned webcomic and loads of people was re- were retweeting it and and it, w- it went viral in possibly the best way that something could go viral in that nobody <laughs> was saying anything nasty and everyone was just rem- okay. reminiscing about their old comics oh wow how do you manage that i know i don't know it's it's just yeah i had no idea and i cannot imagine that it could be repeated somehow (laughs) it just seems such uh yeah such an unusual thing for going viral but one thing that it did made me realize is that so many people do did have this experience of trying out web comics and not quite working out for them and kind of leaving it but and so many people have this experience of having abandoned a webcomic and yet are still creating comics, still creating fantastic work. And the webcomic that they created was a huge part of this, even though they didn't finish it. Mm. But what you get from creators is they look back on this project that they didn't finish and they look to the people now asking for advice on creating a webcomic and they say, make sure you can finish it or make sure you don't chew off too much. Make sure you don't start a huge epic that you'll never finish Mm. and i'm kind of like that sort isn't that kind of part of the process though chewing off something that's too big for you and realizing that you how to how to do that or how not to do that or getting stuck in on a project that you're really passionate about and just kind of going with it even if it doesn't actually get finished you know that kind of i mean that's how we started so Great. Yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. chewed off more than we should have attempted. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up because I was recently thinking about this for something I was learning. And a lot of the advice was like, don't make all the mistakes I did. Just focus on this and then you'll be able to just do this intuitively. And I was sitting there thinking, but all the times that all the time you spent failing helped you to get to a point where you can just intuitively do something because all that information is in your subconscious yeah all that progress and experience has been made through your failure yeah it's it's such a huge part of creating things is sometimes things don't turn out the way you want or sometimes in the process of making a thing you learn so much from the process of making that thing that you realize i could actually do better if i just started with something fresh you know and that's I, that happens all the time in prose writing in fan fiction like the that kind of area where people play around with writing by writing for you know different media that they like um it's a great way for writers to get some experience doing the writing and fan fiction is well known for having loads of fan fiction that just didn't get finished because you know it was just a fun project and they were just you know writing it because they had that that was what they had passion for and those writers will have learned things from those projects those fan fictions even even though they never finished it and i feel like there's just this pressure sometimes with certain with certain 
creative projects like web comics where you're doing a thing and you're making it very public to make sure you finish it and make sure and finishing it is the only thing that people will ever advise you on rather than just sure. having doing fun it. with it yeah, yeah getting stuck in learning what you will learn from it not worrying too much if it if you're not quite going to reach the same end point that you started off imagining all right yeah i get that perspective it's like yeah you learn along the way and then you can do it better as you as you learn more but you have to start and make those mistakes yeah absolutely and i mean it sounds like from your sort of early journey that have you always wanted to work in comics or was there like another path for you at some point i actually went to university to do english language which kind of stems from the same sort of route as the comics and as prose writing in that i love language i love what people can do with language I love stuff like learning how newspapers use the path of voice to hide things that they don't want you to pay attention to. The kind of things okay. that people assume about and and or or take for granted, and how that influences how they speak and what they what they talk about, and stuff like how different accents spring up, and all, all this kind of stuff. I really I really liked a lot, and I was almost tempted to go into academia for a bit because I because I loved English language so much but then I thought to myself I at the end of my at the end of university I just wanted a nine-to-five you know okay. I just what I just wanted to be able to go to, to get get a wage and then come home and then work on my comics as a fun thing rather than as a job and now I've changed my mind slightly because I am so I, I guess I've got a higher Hmm, how to say this? I think my impression of my own work, my and my self-esteem has increased quite a bit since, you know, the the early years and I'm more confident in what I can do and I think it's worth sharing worth, you know, taking more seriously as in from my point of view, taking myself more seriously and my work more seriously and making more of a go of it, I suppose. Yeah. So, sometime later um, I've circled back to you know wanting to do wanting to make more comics more of a priority rather than just a hobby. Yeah, I mean self esteem and confidence would do wonders. Like I definitely feel you on that. You can you get to a point where as you start to take yourself more seriously and you get that confidence, then things can change and your perspective change, the actions you take change, and you can make the thing you want to happen happen. Yeah, maybe absolutely. not right way, but you can. You know, you can be on that path. So that's really that's a positive. Uh, so yeah, it's a good outcome. I think, in particular, um, back in twenty oh twenty nineteen, I pu- I published my first uh, self published my first um, original work, Wellheart, or at least part one of Wellheart, and I put it in for the Scottish Indie Comic Book Awards because I thought, let's see, let's see what happens. And I I got nominated for best artist in it. And I think that was a, came as a surprise to me because I've always felt that my writing is stronger than my art. So, so to get this nomination again made me think, no, I can do this. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like no, this is this isn't this is something that people obviously think that I have some skill here. So I should you know do right by myself and not count myself out because of my own you know feelings about how good or not good my work is i suppose yeah when it comes to an outside sources sometimes you gotta pay attention to it yeah 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 <laughs> and then getting um putting the this short story in f- to the quindry tilt six tales collection having that accepted has been another huge boost to my ego so <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, yeah, it's been it's been an interesting few years for sure. All right. Well, I mean, let's talk about some of these comic projects. So you mentioned the the Tilt Six Tales. We can start there. So you're you currently got a Kickstarter running for the Tilt yes. Six Tales. Is it an anthology? Does does that? Yeah. So anthology? six. Yeah, it's a, it's an anthology. I think all of the stories are around twenty. My my story is twenty four pages. I think that's about the longest, but they're all around twenty pages long. And it's just four. It's just six disconnected, or not. It's it's an anthology that doesn't have a single theme, but it's just six unique stories in black and white um, in the one volume. And I've seen I've seen bits and pieces of my the fellow artists. Uh, work and it, I think it's going to be a really incredible collection. Um, it's just there's some really heartfelt stories in there, some very funny ones. Of course, he's spoken to Chris already, and I'm really looking forward to seeing his because I think that got a lot of you know anger in it in a good way. Mm. So I, yeah, I think it, I think it's going to be a really really great collection, and the people in it are all just lovely. And the two editors, even Harry, have been really good. It's been like I mean I was quite worried about getting my work edited start to finish for the very first time. In that I was a little worried that it might become not quite true to me or something. But it really felt like it was just the story was getting honed, you know. Yeah. The questions, some of the questions that Harry had for me just made me re- no, realize what parts of the story were really working and what parts I needed to communicate more strongly in and i'm really really happy with what we've come out with yeah i've had a similar experience recently different type of project but having your work analyzed to a uh, nice i think maybe the <laughs> better word or how it felt by someone external and having to deal with the the feedback think about your work but then also taking it as a way to make what you do better and sometimes you can only get it when you get that outside that external feedback yeah for certainly what happened for me oh yeah me too <laughs> got a lot of feedback on that what does this mean it's like oh wait you're not inside my head oh all right yeah me, yeah yeah <laughs> i think one of the first, extra words yeah yeah i think one of the first things that harry asked was what is your feelings on this particular theme of the story and then i i, I wrote a big email explaining and once I, I think once we had that shared understanding we could both go at the editing process and and be able to work towards that goal of that you know greater theme i suppose yeah and it's an interesting theme because i think you mentioned somewhere on the kickstarter this concept of digital immortalities is that like something you've got from um i don't know it's in media like have you seen that black mirror episode because that's the first thing i thought of uh i've I've, so many people mentioned the black mirror episode and i need to i really need to watch it it was mostly i I mean i think i've seen it in in multiple sci-fi things it just being a trope that comes up it's for me, it was Ian M. Banks's culture series, which has digital immortality as just a thing that people take for granted in terms of all of the characters have these neural nets that are recording their every thought, and they just expect that if they die suddenly, they'll just be rebooted. It's just completely taken for granted. And although Ian M. Banks goes into quite interesting ground and sometimes quite horrifying ground with what this could mean, especially in one novel, I think it's Surface Detail, where they come up with this idea of digital heavens and hells that you could be put, that this, that people's uh, sort of recorded memories could be put into, 
which is quite and it's quite quite an intense story um but what mostly what i took from it was i'm i'm not sure that i believe that that it would be real immortality i kind of feel like for me at least i feel like the body and the mind isn't quite so easily divided and i feel like i think i used the metaphor in that interview with quindry that it's it's like uh in these stories uh, the mind is treated like data on a USB stick and it can just be taken off that USB stick, put in another one. But I think of it more as a burned CD. You can, you can make a copy of it, sure, but that's just a copy. It's not the original thing. So my story, instead of ex- exploring what this technology could mean in terms of the kind of things you could do with it, is more what does this technology mean for the people that are dealing with it what does it mean emotionally how do people reconcile it if they disagree on whether it's real immortality or not what happens if your sister feels differently about it than you do and that's the kind of thing that i was interested in exploring yeah it is a fascinating and somewhat unsettling concept uh the i would say uh, i'll put a link to that black mirror episode in the show notes but it's uh i think it's from episode or oh, sorry season two and yes, yeah, like as a couple when the, one of them dies in a car accident, but then is brought back through artificial intelligence. And just like most of Black Mirror, it's it's creepy because where you can see it around you. So I don't know if you saw hey. that recent story about Amazon and their Echo being able to use the voice of a dead relative. I, I, that's gone past me but that doesn't surprise me at all yeah. but yeah wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> wow is yeah yeah that's like for me that's that's just weird that's just that is too far for me but then that's only like the first steps of what could possibly be done so it kind of yeah your story is like in a, a very interesting area yeah, I I think this was one of the things that I was speaking to my editors about. There's a there's another story to that could be told in the let's call it the um in Lila and Silver universe, so to speak. This this place where this technology exists and is being used to give people what looks like a life after death. There's a story to be told there that's a horror story rather than the story that I've gone for, which is more bur- bittersweet. But yeah, it's it's fascinating. This is I love I love doing this things these kind of things. I love kind of you know digging my fingers into these kind of concepts and exploring what it would not just what they mean, but what it means em- yeah emotionally the mm. impact on the people in the worlds that this technology might exist in. Yeah, when I spoke to Chris about not specifically your story, but the idea of using comics like the medium to explore these kind of what can be heavy topics and like digging into them in a unique way so it sounds like you're you're also doing that and another aspect that you mentioned for your story is that you wanted to uh, focus on a relationship that wasn't romantic why was that important for you i think it's the intersection of a couple of um, my own identities i suppose um so i identify as someone who's on the a romantic spectrum which can vary from people who do not experience sensations of romance at all to people who only do with certain people after they've become they've known them for a very very long time which is kind of where i fall um and a whole whole, whole range of different different ways of spe- experiencing romance that doesn't get represented by 
your typical call alloromantic, you know, paradigm. <laughs> Paradigms is the funny word to use there, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. And I think one of the things that when I was getting to grips with this as part of my identity, it was kind of scary because all you see in terms of stories, um, everything you see, every story that you see, or, or that's, let's say the vast majority of stories, they have romantic uh, love there as the thing that makes it all make sense or the thing that is like one of the, you know, success or metrics of success for life you know finding someone to live your life with to to be there to be together forever with feeling that feeling that sensation that you see so many stories where it's simply that is what makes us human is romantic love so to start thinking or start realizing that maybe I don't experience it in the same way or maybe I don't ex- experience romantic love at all was a scary thing because there's just no there's no stories that are telling you that that's okay that's going to be okay you don't have to you don't ha- if you don't find anyone you can still have a fulfilling life you know yeah and also just I think there is a loads of there's a whole load of different relationships in the you know human experience that just get pushed to the back seat in in favor of romance and I, I I think I always want to do more of that I want to have put more of that out there I want to read more of it in the world you know and in this case a, a sibling relationship just felt like the perfect thing to do and for my story because I have really really strong friendships with both my siblings and I just wanted to tell a story about that. No, that makes sense. I think it kind of shows that the it's the power of representation and the, the responsibility of, of media at large where like on that subject of romantic relationships, I always remember like since starting my bad and what and watching or consuming more anime and manga and seeing like different ways that relationships are represented. Um yeah. I think we've spoken on the podcast about Princess Mononoke and that's always struck me in that sense because you have characters in that that form like a, a relationship, like a love-based relationship. But at the end of this uh, story, they go their separate ways. <laughs> like, I'm going over here, you go over there, we'll do our thing, see you later. And it's kind of like it like bucks the trend of like a more Western-style representation where, you know, there's there's those standard steps that, that yeah. happen um, in there. So it's always interesting to see it represented in different ways. Mm, I think it just brought up a thought for me because um, have you both seen La La Land? haven't yet I'm afraid (laughs) okay (laughs) sorry I cannot bring up my point then (laughs) oh no (laughs) sorry (laughs) Um, I kind of can we can for the the rest of people listening that have yeah so a lot of people that I spoke to said that it was a very disappointing or sad ending and I feel like when I watched it, it was a very satisfying ending because of the way it was exploring a romantic relationship, but how it explored that journey um, and what it meant for the people involved. So yeah, I'd say it's worth, worth watching. I'm instantly much more interested in in watching it than I have up until now. Just (laughs) has he sold it? Yeah, I, I remember watching the uh, in Pacific Rim when that came out and just being, I mean, as spoilers here, being really glad when they didn't, the, the two characters didn't kiss at the oh, end. They yeah. just did a little forehead touch and that was so sweet yeah. to me and I, I was so happy that. with it. Yeah, I think we, we did. did. We did that uh, in one episode. I do remember, I think we mentioned that. 
Mm. But yeah, check in with me when you have have watched all of that. I'd love to have a conversation about it. <laughs> okay, we will we will do. Um, and if you check out episode fifty eight of the podcast, you will hear us talking about Pacific Rim. This little in podcast advertising there. All right, let's continue. So you've got the the Kickstarter going. You're working with different artists. Are these artists that you already knew about, or are they were they new? I think there was only only one of the artists in the collection that I knew of beforehand, which has been great because I've just met like you know five wonderful people with really cool you know art and stories to tell. So it's been lovely and. Um, one of one of one of the team, Julie Campbell. She's been organising little uh, monthly chats for us to just talk about our creative process and uh, you know catch up with one another, which again has been lovely because. And I know you've you've you've, you've talked about this previously in other discussions with creators, but um, the pandemic has not been good for getting out and seeing people and chatting to people, no, and you not. know, with the conventions you know, being cancelled until very recently. So yeah, it's been a really lovely experience. They're all lovely people and the stories are looking really cool. So I'm very excited to be in a book with all of them. Cool. And what's been the biggest thing that you've learned since the campaign has launched? I guess just how much of Kickstarter is a waiting game. Like I knew it before <laughs> going in, you know, yeah. and I knew about the dead middle period of a Kickstarter where it feels you yeah. can't get any traction, all this stuff. It's, it's different to go through it though really you know really isn't does, it yeah. to get that experience firsthand but yeah, yeah i think i was i was quite prepared for it going in i've i heard that there's a thing that i heard quite a few months ago about the rule of seven for advertising where oh like seven points of like oh i have to see it seven times before i go yeah oh, right. and yeah. that that really stuck with me because that is how i operate with other people's kickstarters i'll i'll be seeing them <laughs> advertising a kickstarter all month and eventually at some point when they if they've been you know good and promoting it i'll go oh yeah wait i like this this sounds good i actually do mm. want to buy this and then i click the button so i try and tell myself that even though it doesn't seem that you're getting much traction as you keep on posting about it and posting about it you're probably just kind of you know, making people, you know, kind of getting people thinking about it. And and eventually, you know, for some of them, they'll go, oh, yeah, sure. Why not? Let's see what this is all about. Definitely felt that. Is it is it weird being a, because you do things as a consumer that as a producer frustrate you <laughs> because what you want as a producer is for someone to see your campaign and instantly go, yep, I like it. Here's my money. <laughs> yeah. But you don't do that. Like we don't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 something. I mean, in so many different parts of creativity, you have to kind of reckon with that. Like, uh, I I do. I've been posting the Steven Universe comic followings for, like I said, seven years, and I've got a quite a big following on Tumblr for it. I think I've got over time. I've had about three thousand followers on Tumblr, with which ebbs and flows, and obviously not all of them will be active anymore. But if you you get, I, I get a good, you know. 60 people who will reliably turn up and like mm. you know the page and I'll ha I know I'll have more reading but that doesn't translate at all to sales or to kickstarter support necessarily though there are some dedicated readers who I love with all my heart because they po they retweet with everything I do and they you know leave comments and stuff and I think it, when you're doing when you're producing stuff online you have to just kind of accept that that's how it is and and understand that that's how you treat it as well just because a creator that you like is creating a new thing doesn't mean that's going to resonate with you in the same way that the old the other old thing was especially if it's fandom based 
and that's yeah. just out that's just how people are they love the things they love that's you know it's not a bad thing it's just humans being humans but gosh darn if it isn't yeah i I feel you you i guess a couple of things i've found since doing like comics and conventions and kickstarters that we we are creatures of habit and quite risk adverse and that comes through in different ways and you kind of have to be okay with that was on some level but then also figure out how you're gonna navigate that and adapt what you do to hopefully counteract it enough to get some traction I think the important thing is just to keep a positive outlook and to understand that this is not, it's not a bad thing if people aren't, you know, sharing as much as you like in terms of it's just human behavior. Cause I think some people can get quite bitter about that mm. and kind of, and I think sometimes it's, you, you need to step back and go, like you said, no, that's how I am as a customer as well. That's how I am as somebody who consumes or a reader or stuff like that. I don't always optimize the way that I do that in a way that the creator might want. And it's, it's not something to be annoyed about or angry about. It's just, it's just what it is. And it's any, it's like you get um, discourse going around every so often about what's the best way to share or or like or you know click a nice button to give kudos to a creator for whatever they're putting out and for me I've always gone I don't I don't care even if even if it's just a tumblr like which doesn't feed into any algorithms and the only use for that tumblr like is to see that I see that someone's seen it and cared about it enough to press the button that still tells me that someone cared enough about it you know mm. that still means something that's still you know someone reaching out across the cold internet to say hey i saw your <laughs> stuff and i liked it you know yeah that can make a difference sometimes yeah absolutely no that's cool and so you've got your uh, the kickstart project you mentioned your other projects so you've got the the fault lines comic which is so it's set in the steven universe universe yeah so i guess it's <laughs> in the weird book. it's in the weird situation of being a, a sort of western dujinshi am i saying that right in in japan you get whole like not to say comic cons but fairs of oh. people where they just sell uh these dujinshi which is comics based on existing ip fan comics and it, yeah. you don't quite get the same thing over here but that's kind of what fault lines is to me it's a it's based in the Steven Universe, you know, the Steven Universe universe. Yeah, <laughs> just, that <laughs> just hit me too. To <laughs> yeah, and it's about some original characters who are. Uh, I mean, to, I don't, I don't know how familiar with you or your listeners will be with the show, but there's a big war. It's that still happens. on my list to watch. The first season is so weird to get through because it's so different from what you will have heard of the series because it's it, the tone isn't quite settled there. But I enjoyed it enough to watch right the way through to the end of the first season. And that's where I got the idea for Fault Lines, which is some characters who are taking place, taking part in this war that happened before the show had already stopped, had even begun and what happened to them who uh, they were not the main characters that we follow in the show they were not the big heroes of the war they're just people who were there and that's what the comic's about just exploring what this war that takes up so much of the backstory of the show was like from someone who wasn't the crystal gem heroes basically and it's been going for about yeah seven years um the show thankfully has not done anything too drastic to counteract my world building or anything so it's kind of <laughs> questionably canon still which i'm happy enough with 
But I started it mostly as a way to get better at comics because I wasn't doing anything at the time. And I thought, well, if you're not doing any comics, why not just do the story that you're excited about? And that will get you the practice. And I haven't stopped. But it's 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 amping up towards part four, which is the final part. So things are getting exciting. I mean, okay, if so I you've got an end myself, so. on your story. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The final fourth part of I've got number volumes one to three I've got in print copy and they're still online and I part four is probably going to be longer than any of the other parts before because that's kind of the trend that I've been going with um the first one was seventy pages the the most recent one was a hundred but um I'm determined to get it finished so hopefully in the next couple of years that will be you know I'll be able to get to my exciting ending and share it with everyone i'm quite excited about that and then you've got your other comic well heart which is the fantasy drama and that's the one that you got the best artist nomination in yeah. the uh, the scottish independent comic book yes sigba scottish indie comic book awards there we go there yeah go. <laughs> i think the sigba's unfortunately were um, postponed over the pandemic and they haven't quite come back yet which is a shame because it's quite a good way to you know, for to to discover new things as well as to kind of get your stuff out there. But um, Well Heart's about it's about being in your twenties and not really feeling like anything you're doing is right and you can't do anything well enough. And me and there being people in your life who maybe are feeding into that a little bit and what you do about that and how you handle it through the story of it's a witch who has special magic powers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And it's it's a story that means an awful lot to me. And unfortunately, it's one of those emotional stories where you kind of it's been on pause for the pandemic because I couldn't do I couldn't worry about the world and write Wellheart at the same time. Right. But now that comic conventions are back up, I've got more of a thing to work towards. So I'm hopefully going to turn back to it in um, 2023 and hopefully have part uh, the second part of it ready for conventions in the latter half of the year so crossing my fingers and for that one is is that feeling something you had for this comic specifically or just general sense of not being able to write uh, um, as much during the pandemic it's hard to it's hard to say i think i basically i was planning on getting started with the drawing of wellheart in part 2 in march 2020 <laughs> I had a whole week <laughs> off work for it. And that was the week before we went into lockdown. So that didn't yep. happen. And I think it was a, there was about a month of me trying to do something, trying to work on it and not being able to when I just sat back and went, okay, some, making something original is important to me. But I'm in trying to get myself to do this, I am simply doing nothing. So instead, for the time being, I'm going to work on fault lines and continue putting my energy there. Because I have a certain level of inertia with the project in that I know exactly where it's going. I've got the entire part written out. It's simply a matter of drawing it page by page and posting it on the internet. Okay. So I think I had to, to try and be uh, trying to be kind with myself and not trying to force my way through an art block that was quite severe, as I'm sure it was for many other people in, in 2020, you know, and even now. And choosing to do the little things to keep myself going rather than hitting myself up against a wall that I knew I knew very clearly why it, why it existed and just yeah just trying to be kind to myself in a very stressful international situation. 
Yeah, no, I, I feel that I because I mentioned uh, earlier, but our Vanguard series through the fog, which is a story about a pandemic that uh, we kickstarted summer of 2020, and it was supposed to be a. I mean, it's relatively short compared to our other sort of more graphic novel size entries, but it's going to be like quick 20 pages. I just get some thoughts out about the pandemic and what I was seeing. 20 turned into 40 odd pages and then it was like oh wow now i have to make it so it's like once i got the thoughts down we're still going through this thing and just found it like yeah. difficult to just do it so i ended up i don't think it was done until uh yeah thought bubble so i got it time thought bubble 2021 so november 2021 so yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I get that comics is quite tricky with that in that there are so many different modes of thinking that you need to be in right the way yeah. through the project um i find that write, writing is extremely brain intensive but very easy very easy in terms of how fast you can do it and as you move forward you move on through the process it gets you it feels like the process slows up more and more thumbnails takes me a lot of intensive thinking you know doing my panel layout and then the sketching requires less thinking because I've already planned out what I'm going to do, but it's still quite brain, brain intensive and takes more time than inking, not really thinking about what I'm doing, but the time it takes is is huge. And then coloring and it just, it, there's always different modes that you need to shift into. And sometimes the, the kind of mindset that you're in will work for one mode of creating, but it will yeah. not work for the one that you need to be doing, which can be quite tricky to work with. Yeah, and that's that's definitely why I found yeah, just having to be in different modes and not being able to get to a certain mode for large chunks of time. So, uh, yeah, no, it sounds like you had a good uh, good approach. Um, and so you got both stories on on webtoon, like so. I, yeah. I I've seen webtoon, but not used it myself. What is it? What does that platform do for for your work? So Webtoons is quite an interesting one. There's been a big shift in webcomics in the last few years. When I was, uh, you know, coming up, it was the case that everyone would have their own little website that they'd post single pages as if it were a comic where you'd get just a, you know, a single page with multiple panels side by side filling up. Webtoons is, I think, what Scott McLeod referred to as infinite canvas. Not quite uh, infinite because it's a scrolling thing, yeah. but it, it's intended to be read scrolling your phone, which means you don't get side-by-side -side panels. You don't have the page turn divisions like you do with standard comics. And an episode of Webtoons will be more than a single page. It'll usually be about, as well, at least two pages worth of panels stretched out across it, but sometimes more. But this is where the audiences these days so in a sense there's a kind of pressure to conform to that which is it's an interesting thing I, I i like webtoons as something that exists in terms of i think the scrolling canvas is an interesting medium because for one thing with normal comics you would plan your pages out so that anything you want to surprise the reader with is on a page turn so they yeah. can't, you know, so they can't see what's coming up. And then surprise. when they turn the page, yeah, they get that surprise. With Webtoons, you have to figure that out for how fast they scroll, you know? And yeah, and it's just a completely different way of thinking. You're not constrained by how much space there is on a page. You, ha you have to figure out a completely different way of pacing. So I like, I like it exists. I kind of wish that it wasn't 
the only thing that seem to be available these days. It feels like anyone who's doing single page updates is kind of struggling against the tide a bit. Webtoons right. is there. There are you know so like I'm sure millions of readers on webtoons nowadays, and it's very dominant. Um, and is not very creative friendly in multiple ways, such as with previous comic sites like Smash Youth back in its heyday. You'd have a creator page where you'd go and see that creator, and you'd see all their stuff, and you find out about the creator. Maybe you'd have they'd have a little bio and stuff. Webtoons doesn't have that. You can search by creator, but it doesn't have a little base for the creator to just share their stuff. You know, there's it, the 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 project is the is the only thing. And it right, kind so of even feels if you have like, multiple projects, it doesn't collect yeah, them together. You just into have your... to, you just, yeah, yeah, you just have to search for that creator's right. name to get them up. It doesn't really. It, it, it's pretty bad for the idea of a creator as a specific person rather than just a faceless person that makes up, you know, the images mm. that appear on your screen a little bit. So yeah, I don't know. It's not. It's it. It's it's not ideal. I think if I were to, you know, if I were to ask people to check out my stuff, I'd suggest. That especially for fault lines, um, I've got the link on my website to the Tumblr, which I've set up to view the individual pages. But I have for we- for Wellheart, I have tried to adapt it to the webtoons format in the scroll in to to the scroll, and I think I've done an all right job with it. But it's an ongoing process because if you're gonna try and change it, it's just a completely different format. So you need to think about it in a different way, which you know can take some doing. It's tricky. That's interesting. Well, yeah, we'll put those links on uh, our show notes as well, yeah, so if people come across it there. Uh, they can, yeah, they can see your process on both. And like in terms of like all the the comics projects that you've spoken about, the stuff you're working on, I'm always interested to know from other creators. Like, where does your inspiration come from? Is it from other comics? Is it TV shows? Is it books? Especially as someone who's essentially studied the language, like where do you get your inspiration from? I like. I think mostly my inspiration comes from. Well, I I, I do a whole. I read a whole variety of media, um, novels, video games, you know, film and TV, you name it. And I think where my what really gets my creative juices flowing is looking at stories and investigating the places that the story doesn't go. And sometimes it's very straightforward in terms of fault lines. I'm literally taking the story and writing in a, you know, in a, in a section of the story that isn't fully explored. But for In Lilac and Silver, which is my Quindry Press Hilt anthology comic, that taking more of a sci-fi concept and exploring it in a different way that the, that I haven't seen in quite the same way. So I think I think I am I do enjoy creating at. Uh, I, th- I think the, the part at which I enjoy creating most is when I'm able to be in dialogue with something else, I suppose. Mm. Wellheart's something of an exception to this because it is slightly autobiographical. I kind of wanted to, t- to to write about this difficult time that I think a lot of people experience in their 20s without it being a direct, here's what I did when I was 23. But that's, that is quite different from what I'm used to and quite challenging in its own way to kind of find, tap into this different inspiration than normal. But it's been an interesting challenge and I'm really I'm really proud of the story and I hope I'll be able to get the next part out as soon as yeah. possible. It sounds like one of those stories where you find out about yourself a little bit more as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Um, before we get into our the guest pro tip segment, I do want to uh, ask another one of our stable questions, which is what does success look like to you and are you there yet? I think success to me 
is in the little moment. I was at uh, Dunfermline Comic Con several years ago, and I saw I was packing. I was I sold I sold quite a few fault lines, copies of fault lines, which I was quite content with. But what really stuck out to me about that day is when I was packing up and I looked over behind me as other people packing up their stalls and I saw a little girl who was sitting on a uh, seat and she was just completely enthralled by Wellheart. She was just had her, sorry, not Wellheart, fault lines. She was just, you know, got her, had her nose stuck in the book just avidly reading it. And that, I guess that's what success looks like is it's not, it's not a single thing that I can finally say, okay, I've, that's, that's ticked off a list for me. It's, those moments that I can see that my writing has, you know, hit with someone, or I can see that it's, it's brought joy to someone or someone's been, you know, it's given someone a moment of happiness or a moment of other emotion. You know, it, it's not, I, I think I'm never going to be at a stage where I consider myself to be successful because it's always going to be a question of, I love the act of seeing someone excited by my work. Mm. And that is what success looks like to me. Well, yeah, I like that. And it sort of reminds you that like, we talked about creativity earlier and like the power of creativity where you're, you're creating something from nothing and then it's having an impact on people, most of which you don't even know. But when you see it, yeah. it's like, oh, wow, yeah, you, you, I did that. Or I contributed to that. Yeah. All right, so we've been talking, I feel like a lot of good advice has come out, but we're going to get into our specific guest advice segment. In each interview, we like to ask our guests to give advice for aspiring creative professionals. So we've been talking comics today. So Kara, what advice do you have for others listening who may want to get started with creating their own comic stories and putting them out into the world? I think it's going to be what I touched on before, which is get stuck in there, follow your passions, do what excites you to create, to to make something. And don't worry too much about it being your magnum opus or being something that you can even be absolutely sure that you'll finish. The finishing isn't important. The quality, especially when you're starting out, is is really not important because you're, every single thing that you put out there is going to be better than the last thing you did. What's important is just doing it and not and letting yourself do the things do it in a way that makes you feel happy even if it's not sensible like even if it's a like 200 page fantasy epic that you might not be convinced that you can ever finish if it still makes you want to draw stuff to write stuff to put stuff out there I think you should do it I don't think you should wait for a more reasonable or a more sensible project I think you should just follow your heart I suppose (laughs) (laughs) to use the cliche because <laughs> chances are every single creator that you l- love and admire has had it has done those things where they've embarked on projects that haven't worked out or have a little dusty notebook with stuff that never saw the light of day or who got halfway through a project or a webcomic and then decided, actually, I need to work on something else. This isn't working out. And it has not held them back as a creator. They, that's paved their way towards becoming the creator that you now so admire. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so whether it's a fantasy or uh, maybe a a manga with four different comic artists you've never worked with before, having (laughs) never made a comic before, (laughs) yes, whatever it is, go uh, go and try it because you can you can course correct. At least I know that bit from from experience. So, no, some good advice. uh, Good advice. So, listeners, 
let us know your feedback on the interview and uh, what you think if you have been through that process as well feedback at myamada.com so before we close out this interview uh, we're going to get into our bonus round Yeah, so this is the part where we throw in some follow-up questions or random questions that didn't quite fit anywhere out. The first thing is not really a question, but more of a like, I feel really inspired um, by your tip. Um, Because I feel like I often get into like a content rut where like I have all of these ideas and I'm like, they're all like unachievable and unattainable. But it's just, I get excited about coming up with those ideas and trying. And I feel like you've just reminded me of that. Um, so, yeah, the first thing <laughs> is just thank you. <laughs> I think it's so easy to get caught up in your own brain with these kind of things. And especially when so many people have are giving advice that's geared towards having a finished project, a product mm. that is a professional standard and getting to that point that we lose sight of all the stuff in between that can be, you know, just as fun and exciting as the final product is definitely oh i love that and so earlier obviously we was talking about non-romantic relationships are there any stories that stand out to you that do explore non-romantic relationships the one that is in my mind at the moment because i just reread it was is the manga series bloom into you is a yuri manga um about some girls in high school who are just getting to grips with their feelings but it stars a a character who's on the aromantic spectrum and is kind of false where I am and even though it is about a this one is about a romantic relationship it kind of deals with a side of it that isn't your typical love story and isn't the 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 main the main character is doesn't know what it what love looks like for her. It doesn't match any of the things that she's been told to look out for. And there's also characters in it who are more straightforward, aromantic. No, they're aromantic. No, they're not interested in romance, but um, are just you know out there enjoying their lives anyway. So I like that one an awful lot. In terms of other other media, the I was a big Wheel of Time fan when I was when I was a teenager. And the Amazon adaption has been really cool in that it's taken one of the one of the relationships in the in the series that can kind of fall by the wayside because it's a relationship between the 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 knowledgeable sorceress, for lack of a better word, um, who is the main character in the story, and her sworn sword hand. And their relationship is not romantic at all, but they are completely dedicated towards to to one another in a platonic way. And I got way more excited about that than I, about those two than I ever did in the books just because I think the series did it uh, Amazon series did it so well so that was the cool one as well wow but yeah yeah I'm big big fan of especially male female dedicated but completely platonic relationships I'm a sucker for it every time it comes up <laughs> <laughs> I agree <laughs> I wasn't even like really like I didn't have that Amazon series really on my radar like obviously I'd heard of it but I was wasn't interested in watching it but you kind of like sold it to me <laughs> it's it's I, I really enjoyed it I can't tell I mean a lot a big part of it is is going to be my fondness for the original series but I was kind of bracing myself 
when I was watching the first episodes, especially because it has a couple of teething problems, I think. But by the, I think it was by episode six, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm on board. I like this. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see what their season two looks like. But yeah, give it a watch. It's good. And then as well, like these comic tournaments is just something absolutely new to me. And I'm absolutely fascinated. Uh, but I wanted to know what's your biggest takeaway from participating in those? Um, oh, my biggest takeaway. Hmm. That's a hard question to ask because I just learned so much through them. Like there's so many different parts of it. Learning how to pace yourself so that you meet a deadline <laughs> is a, a huge <laughs> one. Um, knowing how to, figuring out how to write someone else's character in a way that's respectful to them. Seeing how other people write your character and what you like about their portrayals and what you don't like. Getting feedback, because usually when the, the judges gave their uh, judgment, so to speak, they'd, they'd say what they liked and didn't like about each of the comics. So in a way that, here we go, that's, that's probably the main one for me, is that one of the judges on one of the tournaments that I got to the semi, no, I got to the finals for, not doing comics so much as it was illustrated prose that I was doing then. But one of them said uh, a piece of what intended was to be criticism, which was that my pl my plot was quite soap opera-esque in that story. And even go looking back, I can absolutely see what they mean. But also at the time I went, yeah, but I'm happy with that, you know? Mm. And that made me realize that your story is simply not going to speak to some people. They're simply not going to like what you're doing, even if you are totally happy with what you're putting out there. And I think that was a big kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, I have to, I'm not, I'm not going to be writing something that everyone likes. Some people are just going to be put off for reasons that I can't adjust to and I can't course correct towards because it's simply if I, I did what they wanted me to, it wouldn't be a story I was interested in telling. So I think that's the biggest thing I learned, come to think of it. So there we go. There's my answer. You can't please everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's really amazing. Um, I definitely want to, I'm probably going to end up in like a, a rabbit hole, an online rabbit <laughs> hole of like <laughs> looking into these. Yeah, I, it will be what it was some rabbit hole, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I'm so, so intrigued. I do hope that the whole system is still, you know, puttering along in some part of the internet now, because I think a lot of people who are doing the OCTs have obviously, not many people who were doing them are still doing them. So I hope out there there's some kind of new generation of OCT participants who are running their own thing back on DeviantArt, because it really was a really good place to just learn. Yeah, it sounds like such a great way to to learn and, and grow and be a part of it of the community um so i hope that they're still going as well and if not maybe this podcast has kind of like helped inspire some people to <laughs> yeah yeah it. someone's gonna go and start it right, right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that is really cool and so cara yeah thank you very much for well first of all uh, introducing us to the world of original character tournaments uh, and just telling us your story that too that was interesting too <laughs> so thanks for joining us thank you for inviting me on it's been great well, no, we appreciate you uh, taking the time. Um, also appreciate people listening. So if you have enjoyed this episode of Story X Story, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a future episode and maybe discover another underground scene that you did not know about. 
you can also give us a, a rating and review, which helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussion. Uh, we've been talking comics. You can check out the Maya Madam manga, uh, including the latest entry, Serious Through the Fog, on our website, uh, mayamadam.com forward slash manga. Join our Discord. So we have the Studio 77 Discord. Uh, you can join that. You can consider becoming a member for exclusive access to gamepad events and content from the Maya Madam universe and get involved with our Do I Look Like a Gamer video game representation campaign, which is now live. The campaign is there for future generations of talent to know that there is a place for them in video games. So we want to empower them to be an active part of shaping the future of the video games industry. Uh, we've done a bunch of things. We have more plans in store. Uh, so check out the photo campaign if you haven't already, which features the 40 players and makers that we kicked off the 2022 campaign with. Uh, and keep an eye out for event news uh, that we have coming next month and into 2023 as well and also how you can get involved and stay tuned because we have more podcast episodes including creator interviews like these video game discussions and deep dives into stories across pop culture you can always give us a shout directly our email address is feedback at myamada.com and our website with links to subscribe is myamada.com forward slash story x story so thank you for tuning in until next time stay safe and remember, the first rule of original character tournament is you always talk about original character tournament, apparently. Take care, everyone. Mm -hmm.